0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 2nd, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. States have begun to at least officially recognize the costs of pension plans to public sector workers. How has that affected the fiscal health of states? Eileen Norcross has crunched the numbers on states' fiscal health for the Mercatus Center. We spoke last week about how well states are stewarding taxpayer money. You've had this project going for several years now. Um, What in the trends, now that you can establish a trend of some sort, what are the clear trends?
1: I think you can see the recovery from the recession in many states. Cash positions have improved, which means rainy day funds have been built up a bit. You see better budgetary balance in general. States are able to have their revenues match their expenses. On the other hand, you have a growth and a pressure in liabilities for many of the states, not all. Some have improved. But most states see increasing pressure, especially in pension liabilities, relative to the income of their residents.
0: What has driven the increase in liabilities?
1: A few things. It depends on the state. Some states happen to be more partial at issuing debt. So in the states that are more poorly ranked, you see that picked up in the long-term liability metrics where New Jersey and Illinois have three times the liabilities relative to assets. That's picking up for debt. That's picking up for the growth in pension liabilities, health care benefits for public sector workers, and other forms of liabilities. In other states, they don't issue as much debt. You see almost flat to no growth in total liabilities.
0: All right. So what are we to take away from uh, the states that have – Loaded up on debt versus states that have uh, maintained their levels of debt.
1: I think at some point you see the, you see the fracturing in in New Jersey, in Illinois, in Connecticut, Kentucky, states that have issued debt to take care of unfunded liabilities. They have the worst problems. Uh, the, these are also states that have used debt to cover shortfalls in the budget. They've built it up over time. There's a recourse to debt. There is a habit of issuing debt and a habit of issuing debt for things that you typically do not issue debt for. And at some point, the, the load becomes too big. It puts pressure on, um, especially where there's a pension story intertwined with that. I think that's what's going on in these poorly ranked states.
0: So in a lot of these states, uh, they have just now begun to report pension liabilities on their books as uh, outstanding uh, liabilities for the state. What does that mean and what? why did that occur?
1: There was a change in the accounting standards. This, this new standard is called GASB-68. GASB stands for the Government Accounting Standards Board. Up until 2015, states were reporting how much they contributed towards their pensions. So an analogy would be they were reporting their credit card payment, and if they made their full credit card payment, they would then show no debt regarding pensions. So that gave a false impression of their true financial position. In 2015, they're now required to report the liability, the unfunded liability, so the equivalent of what is the total amount I owe the credit card company. And now that that's being reported on the balance sheet, you see a spike in many states in their total long-term liabilities. And that gives a better picture of their true position. So net position went down for a lot of the states. They're in a weaker net position, but it's a more accurate reflection of where they actually are and where they were before.
0: And for – to be clear, the states did not get worse uh, in their true financial position. Their true financial position was just revealed. I think that's an important distinction.
1: Correct. That's a very important distinction. So they're simply recognizing what was there before.
0: All right. So what states have turned it around, have, have found themselves in a bad situation and then either uh, tightened the uh, purse strings or have decided or have increased their uh, economic performance?
1: I think North Carolina is such a state. Each year that we've done this study, North Carolina has gone up in the rankings. Um, I think you can tie that to their tax reform back in 2013. You see a steady increase in their cash position. They have uh, increasing an increasing amount of cash on hand for the short term. You see their budget solvency has improved, so their revenues are exceeding their expenses at the end of the year. And their liabilities are also quite strong. They're, they're either flat growth to a decrease in total liabilities, and their pension obligations simply aren't as large relative to their state's income. So I think you see there the effects of that belt tightening, uh, the effects of the uh, the tax reform that they undertook.
0: Now, what, did that tax reform attract new investment, or was it just a tax reform that – was did a better job of uh, extracting revenue from people
1: that this study does not evaluate, but that is a key question. You know exactly what's going on here. Is it the structure of their tax reform? You can contrast North Carolina to Kansas. Kansas's numbers show weakness, and they've shown increasing weakness over the past few years. And that's in the area of cash. They've got a decreasing amount of cash on hand. That's in the area of budget solvency. They are they had less revenues than uh, necessary to cover expenses in 2015. And there we know the story that while they had tax reform, there was a, a loophole in that tax reform and they also did not cut spending, they increased it. So I think while the study does not evaluate the, the fullness of North Carolina's tax reform, I believe it's a combination of the spending control and the tax reform that, that was that was done right.
0: Is there a strong relationship between spending control and getting taxes right?
1: Yes. And I think you can tell a story with the top-ranked states there. I always encourage people, don't look at the rank. Look at the underlying metrics. Look at them over time and put them in the context of the state's economy and other factors. So you look at Wyoming and you see a state that is you know, in the top of the rankings. They have a lot of cash on hand to cover the short term. They have a lot of revenues on hand to cover expenses, but then look at what we call service level solvency, and that's a measure of taxes, revenue, and expenses relative to the income of state residents, and it's quite high. They have one of the highest loads of tax revenue and expenses relative to their state residents' income in the country, which means, yeah, while they have a lot of cash and revenues on hand, is the spending supportable? If you're going to take those taxes out of the, um, of the state population, North Dakota and Alaska, similar story. They're highly re- reliant on oil revenue, but they're spending at a level that's not necessarily supportable if they had to get that revenue out of, the, um, out of their traditional tax base.
0: You, one metric that you mentioned before we started recording, and that was uh, outstanding pension liabilities relative to state income. Can you unpack that and explain why that's an important metric?
1: Sure. The unfunded pension liabilities are your basically your funding gap in your in your pensions. What's the total li- unfunded liability? We recalculate that. The states are calculating that economists would argue on very very generous terms. So we recalculate their pension liabilities and measure them as though they are guaranteed debt. That increases the total unfunded liability and then we look at that relative to the total income of the state's residents and see what it is as a percentage. I'm looking at Kentucky right now, so their pensions to state income is 53%. That means the unfunded pension liability, when it's valued as though it's guaranteed to be paid out, is 53% of the total income of all of of Kentucky's residents. That tells you how big that that liability is relative to a measure of wealth in the state. That's pretty high. Uh, you don't want it to be that high. So I think it's it's a flag that this is a state with an unfunded liability that needs attention.
0: And of course, when you talk about revaluing the size of the liability of pensions and treating them as uh, guaranteed, that's how defenders of state pensions think we ought to be thinking about them, right?
1: That's correct. If, if you care about pensions, if you want them to be there, you should value them according to the legal guarantees that are around these pensions. Many states, Illinois being the strictest, guarantee their pensions um, constitutionally. Well, Illinois is the only one that – not only one, but Illinois guarantees its pensions constitutionally, which says we will definitely pay this out. Then you should be valuing it closer to a return on a bond. What states are doing is they're valuing their liabilities based on their portfolios, on their investment portfolios, and these are invested in a mix of stocks Equities, which come with a higher return, but when you value a guaranteed liability based on a risky portfolio, you're you're mixing you're mixing metaphors, so to speak. You're you're valuing something that's guaranteed to be paid based on something that's volatile in nature. While it has the effect of lowering the size of the unfunded liability, it's also causing states to underfund them systematically. They're putting in too little to guarantee payment of these pensions, and that, that's that's not good. Um, and I was I was not happy to see that Illinois in, in, in the service of trying to balance its budget is raising the discount or at least keeping the discount rate at a level that they find palatable because it makes the bill look a little bit smaller while Kentucky is talking about getting more aggressive and lowering that discount rate. And that's a good thing because then they're saying, hey, how much do we really have to put into this if we want it to be fully funded?
0: There are some states that are uh, closer than others to the brink of collapse, you mentioned Illinois and its uh, guaranteed uh, pension payouts. But uh, you know how close is Illinois to bankruptcy? And is that something that can even happen?
1: While states cannot formally declare bankruptcy, Illinois is in an acute situation. Yes, they passed the budget. They had $15, 15 billion in backlogged bills. How are they going to deal with that? With a sl- with a tax increase that's supposed to bring in about $5 billion. But that's just putting a band on a hemorrhage. You have this increasing unfunded pension liability. You have a state that has had recourse to the use of budget gimmicks over the years, issuing debt to cover the short term, uh, using other one-shot maneuvers to cover growing expenses. And I think their their latest set of tactics to get through another budgetary year has not been enough to um, to fix the situation and I understand the credit rating agencies are not necessarily impressed that Illinois is still looking at potentially a junk status and that's because they haven't undertaken structural reform unless you deal with the drivers of these unfunded liabilities unless you deal with the drivers of spending then these short-term revenue fixes are simply not going to be enough.
0: How have uh, increased or reported pension liabilities altered the bond markets examination of state's fiscal positions?
1: they have incorporated them into their assessment of state
0: did they do that before
1: that I would I don't know how long they've been doing it uh, I know in the past several years they have been measuring them some of some of the credit rating agencies Moody's in particular have measured them more conservatively I think but I, I to your question I'm not sure at one point they had started assessing them and healthcare benefits as part of the general creditworthiness of a state so they're measuring them at least Moody's measuring them a bit more conservatively they are paying attention to them and they're paying attention to the commitment to whether reforms are meaningful and I think that's been that's been good it's signaled that states that are truly in bad in a bad situation have got to make a commitment to structural reform
0: Eileen Norcross of the Mercatus Center is co author of Ranking the States by Fiscal Condition. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.